Right, folks, so uh, we are, let's have the text up here, right. So with respect to the text from our author, alayhi rahmatullah, Zad al-Mustaqni'a, in the chapter of the conditions of the prayer, as we are continuing, um, we came to, فَإِنْ قَطَعَاهَا فِي أَثْنَاءِ الصَّلَاةِ أَوْ تَرَدَّدَ بَطَلَتْ وَإِذَا شَكَّ فِيهَا إِسْتَأْنَفَهَا That's what we did. And what we're doing today is وَإِنْ قَلَبَ مُنْفَرِدٌ فَرْطَهُ نَفْلًا فِي وَقْتِهِ الْمُتَّسِعْ جَاز وَإِنْ انْتَقَلَ بِنِيَّةٍ مِنْ فَرْضٍ إِلَى فَرْضٍ بَطَلًا And maybe we'll also do today وَيَجِبُ نِيَّةُ الْإِمَامَةِ وَالْإِئْتِمَامِ وَإِنْ نَوَى الْمُنْفَرِدُ I don't think we'll get to there, but anyway. So the English uh, of that is that uh, one makes the intention along with the opening takbir, and we've done that. Uh, if the intention is cut during the prayer or there is some doubt, the prayer is invalidated. Okay, that's what we did last week. And you should have caught that up with the, should have caught up on that with the uh, recorded uh, session that I did from the Emirates. And if one doubts their intention, then the prayer is restarted. And we went through a number of different scenarios, okay, explaining uh, when that would happen. When it would be that your niya is, is so so uh, clear in your mind that you are not praying, that it means that the prayer is invalidated. And just to summarize basically what we spoke about, because I get the feeling that maybe some folks didn't get to catch up on it, okay, um, that if a person was... Uh, there are a number of scenarios. I mean, to be, I can't repeat the whole lesson, but basically, if a person was to not have the daniya for the prayer, then we know that that prayer has not started. The question that we were discussing last week, though, is, is that possible? Do we have people that come to a prayer or get up to pray and they don't have that intention there? Is that possible? And we start then to enter into the realm of the kind of the the implausible and the waswasa and so on. And that's when the scholars decided making a difference between someone who's ill or someone who's mentally ill or someone who has lots of doubts and normal people. And I made it very clear that the class position is, is that we must not give credence to this kind of thinking. Because once you start giving credence to this kind of thinking, you create the waswasa devil. Okay? Insan is always being whispered to, but everyone gets it under control. Everyone has a question in their mind, whatever. But, you know, sometimes we make the beast bigger than it actually is, and then you start to get into a real kind of mental mess. So it's very unlikely that a person makes all the effort to, you know, get up and get ready, and it's dhar time, and they stand and pray, and even if they've got the wudu from fajr time. Because these little markers are the things that make it easier to remember what the plan is. Because if you break your wudu often, then making the wudu for each prayer is like a kind of like a resetting of the process. It makes you feel more confident that I know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm establishing a prayer. So 
uh, that is sufficient. If a person is making wudu at a prayer time, that is the intention for the prayer. Khalas, yani don't overthink it. Once you start overthinking it, then you start getting into the problems. Um, now, yeah, I get it that it is a bit more difficult that if a person is, you know, made wudu at fajr time, then leaves for work kind of thing, okay? That they're not making wudu again or they're not kind of going out to a masjid or whatever. So, what's their intention? Well, again, we're creating the problem. If a person stops at lunchtime, it's lunchtime that you're stopping for, to eat. So when you go to pray, okay, it's because you want to pray. It's because you intend to pray dhuhr, and you know that at lunchtime is the only time to pray dhuhr, and you've got to kind of rush it, the usual kind of thing, that the attitude, you very rarely pray sunnah when you're out in retail or in an office environment. You know that you're going to pray for it because you've got limited time. These are the indicators that establish that your niyyah is sound. All right? And... So we start with, so I really emphasized that point last week. And then we spoke about different scenarios where uh, there are times when the prayer is invalidated uh, by a doubt in the niyyah. So one, for example, if you are absolutely, um, you've got a very real reason to doubt that you made the intention. I don't know what that is, scenario is, but let's just say that you really doubt whether you made the intention. And then another scenario would be... Um, when you want to change the intention, when you don't want to be praying, or you got it wrong, so you're in the prayer for dhuhr, and you say to yourself, you know what, I can't be praying now, for whatever reason, for whatever reason there is, but you want to break that intention. If you say to yourself in the prayer, I am not praying, then the prayer is gone. That's what it means in the text, is that if you cut the intention, the prayer is cut. It is, that intention is a shart. And like every other shart we covered last year, if it leaves you for a second the prayer then collapses it's like a it's like a leg of a chair it's like yeah it's like any 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 structure it loses its condition it's like losing a pillar okay we're going to come to in a couple of months time when we get to the obligations in the prayer itself you realize that they're not as important as the legs of a chair if we look at a stool a three-legged stool okay is this because you know sometimes a chair a four-legs chair can they can lose one and it can still stand so let's look at a three-legged stool and a three-legged stool is the easiest way to look at any random act of ibadah whether it's fasting hajj salah whatever and the obligations and the arkan you would uh, you would classify the legs as arkan and you classify the seat as a yeah and theoretically you could classify the seat as an obligation if you were to take the seat off okay or you know the the flat part at the top it might be that the structure of the actual legs could theoretically still allow you to sit on it theoretically it could be very painful right <laughs> probably it will be painful but yeah it's not destroyed the chair it's not falling down but you take one leg away that the chair falls down the stool falls down so i want you to understand that the legs are always the arkan the pillars the most important pillar obligation of, of an act of worship and the conditions are the same a shart is the same the only difference between the condition and the pillar is no 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 only difference between a condition and a pillar is no we're not talking about obligation what's the difference between a shart and a pillar the only one difference really Mm-hmm. So the shirt has to be there. Oh, the condition has to be there before. Correct. It's about before and after. So the shirt has to be established before the action starts, and a pillar of an action starts with the action starting. So the takbirat al-ihram is a pillar of the prayer. You don't make the takbirat al-ihram, the prayer never started. 
Whereas wudu and niyyah and all the rest of it, it had to be there before. We covered that last week as well, by the way. Okay? That the intention has to be there either at the takbiratul ihram, the tahrima, or just before it. Yeah, so every time a condition, we said the aura is a condition covering it, the place being clean, condition before it, the qibla direction got to be there, the yani done before it, the uh, uh, wudu, etc. So a condition is as important as a pillar, but they happen pre the act. Whereas the pillars are things that happen during the act and they maintain it going. It doesn't mean that the conditions can be broken. Conditions have got to be maintained. But the only difference between them is time. But the difference between an obligation, a fard or wajib, yani, and a pillar is massive. Because, as I said, a act survives with uh, when a, a fard is missing. But it needs to be compensated for. Okay, And we're going to come into that in a lot of detail. You can always fix the prayer with a fard missing. But you can't you know, get along. Meaning that, like back to the stool example, if you had to sit down, if you had to get off the floor, for example, that's the easier way. Imagine that there was something on the floor. I think a bicycle is a good example. Okay, so then the wheels would be the pillars. Yeah, so you can't get it. Yeah, good. Yeah, the seat. Yeah, that's, you're right. That's much better. A bicycle, yeah, and it has a seat on it, which is essential really to sit down on the bike, but theoretically you could keep riding, right? But you'd get tired after a while, and so you really need to get a seat sorted somehow, okay? So without the tires and the wheels, it's gone. You can't do anything. Those are the conditions and pillars. But if the seat isn't there, then theoretically, you know, whatever. I would uh, 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 say that the journey would be minimal. You need the seat. And so that's why at the end, if you've missed out on obligation, you add it, you fix it. Okay, or via the, whatever the compensating, uh, compensatory act is. In Salah, we call it Sajda Zahim. And the other acts in Hajj, we call it the, the, uh, the Fidya, the uh, paying the obligation to fix it, and missing out an obligation. So we'll, we'll, we'll come to that in its right time. So anyway, the point is, is that the niyyah itself must continue. Once it leaves you and you are clear of it, then it's gone. But then we would discuss in a bit of detail. Obviously, this is a class of detail. We can't keep it light and simple as that, as baby fiqh that is. Uh, we looked at what about various actions that break the prayer? What about if you are intending to do that act? So for example, speaking. Okay, or for example, walking. Right? These are things which are not permissible in the prayer. Let's say that someone speaks to you or someone says to you, come here. Okay, whilst you're praying, and you're now thinking, right, I'm going to go over there because you know they're calling me, or because, or, or someone speaks to me, I need, need to respond. If you are thinking of responding, all right, the, the, the sheikh was discussing that it should break the prayer because the humblies say that in one of the narrations, it, that breaks the prayer as well because you're intending to break the prayer. <coughs> what did we say? We said that the intention to break the prayer when you don't want to break the prayer itself, but you are intending to break the prayer via an act which breaks the prayer, does not break the prayer unless you do the act which breaks the prayer. Did you get that? Okay. All right. I don't even know if I can repeat that again, by the way, because I, just, I was just flowing. And when you're flowing, it sounds quite nice. But now asking me again, I've got no idea. If you intend to break the prayer by doing an act that will break the prayer, the prayer is not broken until you actually do the act that would break the prayer. But just intending the act. Now, versus intending to break the prayer. If you intend to break the prayer, like I'm not praying, it's broken, bam, immediately. Whereas to intend to break the prayer by doing an act that would break the prayer. So you don't actually want to break the prayer, but you want to do an act that would break the prayer, but don't even do it. So it's conditional upon the act, but you don't fall through with the condition 
That's what we discussed, okay? So if anyone who didn't watch it, there's more detail to that, but that's in last week's lesson. Right, so today then we move to naflan fi jaz. So what did we have, Shaz, for the uh, text there? Uh, the translation for that uh, part. Um, uh, so it is permissible for one praying their obligatory prayer alone to convert it to a supererogatory prayer if there is enough time remaining. Okay? Yani basically, it's allowed for a person who's praying their fard to, to convert that prayer from an, from an intention while still in the prayer to a sunnah prayer, a nafal prayer. As long as there's enough time left for that fard prayer to be prayed. I'm going to give the example of that. Shaz, they say that the connection is not great? <coughs> Fine. Uh, so... Uh, Sheikh gives an example. He goes, all right, there's a person, he's praying Dhuhr by himself. This is at the bottom of page 300 in Al-Mumta. And he says that he's praying Dhuhr by himself. He is munfarid. Let's make sure you learn these phrases, okay? All right? Not just the English phrases. The word munfarid, okay? Munfarid means a person who's praying alone. Okay? Munfarid. Munfarid. Okay? Munfarid. Mim nun fa rada. Munfaridun. Munfaridun, okay? M-U-N-F-A-R-I-D-U-N, something like that, whatever. So, um, if there is a person, وَهُوَ مُنْفَرِدٌ وَفِي أَثْنَاءِ الصَّلَاةِ And he is in the middle of his dhuhr prayer, um, and he now makes the intention to swap that fard, four raka'ah, obligatory dhuhr prayer to something else. So, for example, to four sunnah, or to four nafal, or he's in the second raka'ah of the fard, and he changes it to two nafal. Okay, that is allowed for him to do that as long as there is sufficient enough time remaining after he finishes this sunnah prayer now that he's changed it to to again then pray the obligatory prayer. Does that make sense? So if you've got two hours to pray dhuhr, you can make this intention if you started praying at one o'clock. At the moment, dhuhr is kicking in at what, 12, 30, 40 odd? And, uh, and the, the asr is around half two? So a person does that at one o'clock, no problem. Yani, maybe he started the prayer and he said to himself, you know what, I've got plenty of time, what am I doing this for? Yeah, I didn't pray the sunnah before, I didn't pray in the before, and I've got lots of time, why am I jumping straight into the fard? So he makes the intention that I'm now reducing, I'm downgrading this now to a nafal prayer. Okay, and there could be a number of reasons for that. Because, because he feels that it's not the greatest prayer in the world and he doesn't want that to be offered as the obligatory prayer. And you've got to remember, by the way, that the prayer itself and the structure of salah, the structure of salah, has some wisdoms. We can't maybe understand all of them, okay? But there are some that make a lot of sense. Like the Hayt al Masjid, for me, is just a great, great sunnah of the Prophet. All right, this, this two rak'ah that you know you come to the masjid and you get everything out of your system getting the journey out of your system you know there's a lot of stress coming to a masjid you know what i'm saying whether you're walking or you're local or whatever i mean i've obviously been you know back to the pain yeah obviously last couple of weeks it's a lot of walking to the masjid and walking to the masjid is a very different experience to driving to the masjid right so in the western world a lot of people drive, driving to the masjid is getting in the car it's probably getting upset at people, maybe a bit of road rage, maybe listen to the radio, maybe X, Y, Z. You know what I mean? A lot of different things happening. Maybe you look at the time, maybe you're late, then you go fast. That's stressful in itself because that's dangerous, maybe illegal. And so then you get into the car park. That itself is stress. Yeah, and you're trying to get into the car park and parking and people freaking you out. And you know, some uncle's taking off now to reverse into their place and all the rest of it. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, it's great that you come into the masjid and you come in a little bit earlier to be able to get all of that out of the system. That's not to say you intentionally intend to pray a rubbish prayer, 
But the point is, is that the obligatory prayer is the one that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to hold you accountable for, whereas the nafal prayers are the ones that you're getting bonus marks for. It's the big one that you're going to intend to do it. There is, it's clear that we keep messing up on the obligatory prayer. There's no doubt about it. We know that. And the hadith makes it clear that, uh, as we mentioned, it's hadith a number of times. I don't know how many times in this class, but um, the Prophet ﷺ said that on the final day, when it comes to the judging of insan and the acts of worship, when it comes to salah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will tell the angels to judge the person's obligatory prayer. And the hadith describes like a kind of like a container kind of situation. So the container situation is that the it's like the prayer obligatory is, is like an obligatory prayer container and a nafil prayer container and the angels reach into the obligatory prayer container and they pull out the obligatory prayer and it's in pieces. It's like naqas, it's deficient. And the person will see that and then they'll start panicking. He'll think, subhanAllah, this was what I was depending on. This is what I, I'm held accountable for. And it's, it's, it's rubbish, basically. Right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will then tell the angels to then reach into the nafal bank, the nafal container. And so then the nafal prayers will then come out like plaster, like putty. Yeah? And they will come out and then the, they'll be used physically to fix the obligatory prayers. Okay? The obligatory prayers will be fixed, whether that's in quantity or quality or whatever. Okay? But that's what the hadith states. And that will then be accepted. And what's really interesting is that the Prophet ﷺ said, and that's why it's important what we're going to come to in a second as well, that this will happen to all of that person's actions. So not just salah, but fasting, the zakah, the hajj, which is why as much as possible, we try to do as much fasting in the sunnah as possible. The Mondays and the Thursdays, tomorrow is a Thursday. Okay? The three days of the uh, um, month, that what we call ayyamul bil. Okay, the white nights, which are very easy to see in this country in the winter. We should be very, very big on that. Okay, and then the months that we see extra fasting. And then, of course, to the next level, alternate fasting, especially younger folks. Especially younger folks, okay, because fasting is a, is a form of discipline and control. And the truth is our youth don't fast at all, at all. The new generation, they're not a fasting generation. Okay, they might be practicing Muslims praying, but they don't fast. I noticed that. All right, so... That's something which uh, needs to be done to supplement the obligatory fast because we all know it's a mess. Ramadan's a mess. Ramadan's an auto, a, a, a complete mess. In a country like this, okay, Ramadan, in a non-Muslim country, Ramadan is basically you starving yourself. That's what it is. It's nothing more than that. Right? As opposed to actually making it... You know, uh, Abu Aliya Abu from the Imam of Atabi'in, he said that if your, your fasting day and your non-fasting day is only different in the fact that you don't eat, then you failed. You said yeah, and what I mean is that in a non-Muslim country, you're not getting all of the isharat and the indicators of adhans and jama'ah and the feel-good and the ex. You're depending upon it entirely yourself. So if you're in a household that doesn't read Quran much, that doesn't change the game, where the people are all still working, so no one's waking up for suhoor, so that doesn't change. What I'm saying, therefore, is that your day is effectively a day where you just don't eat and drink. And you get good at it. After two, three days, everyone gets I mean, The first few, three days are tough. People struggle, and then they get into the zone, they realize how easy it is. And this is why I get upset every single year, and I say the same thing every single year. People saying, yeah, and fasting is going great. And what they mean is that 
that the, I've now got my not eating under control. That's what they mean. That's actually what they're trying to say. After day three and four, they're basically saying, I've got over the caffeine issues. My headaches have now calmed down. I'm all right. I'm not feeling the hunger pangs. And that's fair enough because that's a challenge in itself. And you get rewarded for that. Okay. And it's, it's a tick, tick box exercise that they're, they're, they're treating it as. But I'm saying to you that your fasting is not going great if you've reduced it only to hunger and food and smoking and sexual actions and so on and so forth. Because to cut that out is just you cutting that out, just like this doctor so-and-so saying that you've got to do that twice a week now because that's the best way to lose weight. And intermittent fasting is... You know, and there's no difference between you and that, that person. You know what I'm trying to say? Your fasting has to be something extra. So my point is, is that people with Ramadan, I'm telling you now, is, is, is rubbish. Our Ramadan is rubbish. All right? Uh, in non-Muslim countries, we make it's even more difficult. I mean, I'm, this is across the world. But, and likewise, zakat. I've spoken about this before. Most people ain't got a dally about zakat. I haven't got a dally. What to pay on, how much to pay, when to pay. You know, the kind of questions I get about zakat, it's just clear that there's a huge, you know, um, uh, lack of knowledge, one. But also just a lack of desire also. A fear, a worry that you know, if I ask too many questions, my whole house is going to be taxed. <laughs> there are people out there like that. They're thinking, you know what? If I ask too many questions, ignorance is bliss. Don't ask too much before I've got to pay any, you know, two and a half percent on my three hundred grand house kind of thing. So you know, I get that. So sadaqah is very important to fill that gap. Very, very important. And hajj. Likewise, Hajj, people go and, you know, you can try your best, but Umrah is there to make sure that that is covered. And everything else is the same. Everything, all actions of worship is like that. Anyway, anyway, so whatever the reason is, um, uh, if a person decides to break the prayer, okay, and uh, uh, break the niyyah for obligatory salah and change it to nafal, this is permissible. This is permissible as long as there is enough time for four units of dhuhr remaining. So he does this at 1 o'clock, no problem. He does this at 2.20, it is impermissible. Impermissible for him to yani, stand up to pray dhuhr, get halfway through, and then say, yeah, I'm changing this now, because afterwards he has got now no time. And that is because of a very important principle in sharia. We're describing it as there's not enough time left for him to do his obligation. What is this basically a, a statement saying? It's not permissible for a person to busy himself with the non-obligatory acts when he is help, being held accountable for the obligatory acts. Okay? That's a very important principle in our sharia. And I, what I thought, I was looking at this earlier on, earlier on meaning an hour ago, I was thinking to myself, what kind of scenarios can people come up with to prove it? What can, who can give some examples of this in play? Uh, sorry? No, no. Of this principle in Sharia that um, a person should not do uh, non obligatory acts when they are being obligated to do the obligatory acts. I don't want people to get confused. You're always meant to do non obligatory acts. But if there's a something upon your head, then. <laughs> Let's say you know that it's one minute remaining to pray dhuhr. Yep. Yep. That's, that, that's the example of the class. One minute left to pray dhuhr, and a person starts praying. Uh, uh, I'll make it even better than that. You've just woken up, Yani, for Fajr Salah. Yes, sunrise is three minutes left. Yes, you don't now go to the, uh, 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 to the masjid. You don't go to the bathroom now. And this is now where you do your three times, wash every single thing, and you know, get your miswak out and get your toothpaste out. What I'm saying, this is one of those scenarios where it's just bish bash bosh, yeah? One time, whatever, whatnot. 
you stick to the obligatory acts of wudu and not the sunnah acts. And now once you're out, you're not even drying yourself now. Which, by the way, according to some ulama, is a sunnah as well, to not dry yourself. But that's another discussion. Okay? And then you go into the salah. Now you don't pray sunnah. Okay, we have the, pro- the provision to pray sunnah after sunrise. So now you just jump straight into the obligatory prayer because that's what's obligatory. That's a good example. Okay, some other examples though. Yes? Um, the situation of Fajr, when uh, the Iqam is going off, the takbir is made, people stop in the sunnah, taking the time to go off. Yeah, this is different. Okay, so just for the sake of the recording, uh, the brother is saying that you're praying sunnah in the masjid and the iqamah goes and the imam is about to pray the, the prayer. Now, this is, is actually a far more difficult and controversial issue. All right? Uh, it, it doesn't fall into our category at all because this person has got plenty of time afterwards to pray and there's a question about is it obligatory to join jama'ah and, 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 which it is, but there's, this is not that, that discussion. Okay, the imperative of joining that jama'ah is because the Prophet ﷺ insisted that a person join the jama'ah, but it's not because of this act, act per se. Because there are some scholars that said that if a person, like the Hanafis, they said if a person can finish the prayer before the Imam finishes the prayer, then they should finish what they have already started, and then join the the or the, the obligatory prayer. Oh, of course. No, that, that, that is the correct position. It's a position of the majority of the scholars. But that doesn't mean that Abu Hanifa and the Hanafi school that say no to that, or they give the caveat that I just mentioned, that they got it wrong. No, they didn't get it wrong. They have a very structured opinion, which we believe to be incorrect, but it is not invalid to follow. It's not invalid to follow. In this masjid itself, for example, we warn the people who come into the masjid late, okay, to not do this. The Imam does that. He regularly warns people, okay, that don't, don't pray while I'm praying. When you, uh, if you're praying your sunnah, then you should cut it or you should pray afterwards. Um, however, invariably, the vast majority of the people who do that in this masjid are Hanafi taxi drivers who come in late. Yeah, that's the, that's, the, that's the majority of those people who do it. They follow the Hanafi school. They don't care about the masjid or the Imam or you know, whatever. They just follow what they've been told. And what they've been, and that doesn't make their prayer invalid because what they've been told is also very clear. They've been told that if you feel that you can finish your prayer before the other, before the imam finishes the prayer, then you go ahead and finish. And you know what? That's acceptable as a opinion. We would argue, even by the way, the majority of scholars are, is not a million miles away from what they said. The majority of scholars don't say you 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 break the prayer. The majority of the scholars say what? That if you are more closer to finishing the prayer than to starting the prayer, and you can quickly finish it, you know, whilst the imam is still within the first rak'ah kind of thing, then you finish the prayer. You get what I'm trying to say? No one says immediately you must break the prayer. Because I'll give you something else. I'll tell you something else. Yani, there are, uh, uh, again, just, just to show you the depth of fiqh and contextualizing it. The, the, the thing that you just mentioned and the ruling, when I advise someone, or when I'm that person, Okay, I'm that person. I never break the prayer. I will always finish my sunnah prayer unless I know something extra. So for example, if I'm in a, if I'm in a Hanafi mosque, right? Or a Diobandi mosque, or in a Brelvi mosque, definitely, I will cut that prayer ASAP because of two reasons. Number one, these people will start the prayer immediately after the iqamah. And number two, they will go for that, yani through that fatiha within 10 seconds. 
there's a real chance that I missed that entire prayer. A real chance. Now, if I'm in a masjid that's upon the sunnah, the iqama is just a first step in a whole process. So the iqama is given. The imam would then turn around and take personal responsibility of filling the rows, telling the people to come forward. If there are a number of rows, he will then assign another person to go and straighten these rows. This is sunnah. He will give the people a reminder about this is their final prayer. Pray as if it is your final prayer, etc. Meaning, if I'm there in the corner, I know that if a guy starts iqam, I've got five minutes here, bro. You, you get what I'm trying to say? So you need to know your masjid. And if you know the imam and whatever, so this is contextual. Meaning that in principle you're right. A person should not carry on with their nafil prayer while the obligatory prayer is going on. But what the Hanafis came with is not so wrong, actually. They also said that as long as you are sure that you'll be able to get the imam in the tashahud of the, of the obligatory prayer, you carry on and finish it. And there's a reason why they say that as well. They said that once you start an act of worship, it is obligatory to finish it. It is obli- and that's the position of Mamalik as well, but there's some difference about whether he applies it for Salah. Anyway, uh, any examples of what we're talking about? I read a really nice example. Yeah, go on. Okay, then. Okay, reciting Quran alone in a masjid. In a masjid, they've got some kind of going on. Right. That's what they said. Obligatory to seek knowledge, but not to uh, uh, recite the Quran. Interesting. 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 Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say? In terms of if they were, if they were acting, I'm saying that it's... I, 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 the, 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 the technical answer to that is that it is obligatory to seek knowledge biljumla, yani in general, not from this particular guy in this particular fashion at this particular time. Especially if he is... Yani, don't say that, don't say that, okay. <laughs> Just that I've spent I've spent the last couple of weeks with those boys, bro. <laughs> not, there's not much on offer, bro, I'm telling you. I sat in every single one. They always look after me, bro. Tabligas always look after me, mashallah. In terms of their knowledge, yani, that's something else. But yani, you know, it's a shame. It's a shame because they get such a great following and if they only authenticated what they were saying and they were telling the people. But at the end of the day, they're reading from so translations. So I just want everyone to understand that answer, by the way, because it was a good, that was a good example. You're there reading the Quran, okay? That in itself needs to be discussed and debated. Is reading the Quran an obligation in this manner or not, in this time or not? So reading the Quran in general is obligation, of course. But in this manner, at this time, yani muratel, is it an individual act or an obligatory act? Of course, it's a nafil act. You are not obligated at that moment to be reciting the Quran. That would be the argument. And the argument would be that if at that moment someone said, okay, the Shrif Layani, you know, what do they normally say? I don't know what they say, but they say come closer anyway. So, uh, some guys, they gather folks together, we want to give a reminder, okay? And that's knowledge, and to seek knowledge is oblig- obligatory. So, does that supersede what you're doing and you are now obligated? The answer is no. Why? Because, yes, seeking knowledge is ob- ob- obligatory, but not right there at that moment from this guy. Maybe you don't like that person, maybe you don't have time, maybe whatever. But, you will be held accountable if that person was saying something that you didn't follow up on, you didn't seek knowledge, you didn't go to a class, you didn't read a book, you didn't study. Because that is obligatory. You've played the card that is not obligatory now, but that means you've got to fulfill that obligation later. You get what I'm saying? So that's what the answer would be there. For example, say if he was teaching us how to mango so. 
and you didn't know. And you didn't know, and he's about to teach you to, uh, the, the acts of ghusl, the argument will become much stronger. That At that moment, right there, it will be obligatory upon you to leave reading the Quran and to go over. Yes, that would be a, a better example. Another example would be Hajj and Umrah. A person, for example, he's coming to the end of his life, uh, fitness, health, and money. And he sees everything in very limited supply. He sees his health and his doctor said to him, you've only got one trip in you. He looks at his money, he's only got one pilgrimage in him. And he makes that Yani Umrah. You get what I'm trying to say? Because he goes, to be honest, I want to chill. I don't want to go for, you know, for the mission of Hajj three weeks. I'd rather go for a 10-day, yani, you know, camel burger eating, juice drinking, yani, couple of tawafs and Bob's your uncle and so-and-so's your aunt. Okay? That's obviously unacceptable. I read a really nice example. What about fasting? Uh, give me an example. For example, if someone misses, missed their Ramadan fasting. That's a really good uh, debate. Okay? That's a very good debate. Uh, is it possible... And this really divided the scholars down the middle. Is it possible that a person who missed Ramadan fasts and therefore he owes them and has to make them up, now is it permissible for that person to fast, shawal, six fasts, okay, whilst he still has obligatory fasts to make up? Now, there are a number of opinions. I've written about this in detail, okay? And the one thing which is not permissible is to combine the fasts. That's the end. Let's take that off the table immediately. All right. Even though some scholars allowed it, there's absolutely no evidence for that. So you're owing fasts, and you combine it with the shawal, and it's like, no, that's unacceptable, because they are two complete separate acts of worship. Mm-hmm. So now we've only got two options left. Either a person has to either say no, and therefore fast the obligatory fast, and then fast the shawal, or the answer is yes, and they fast, and then they uh, do the obligatory fast afterwards. In this example, if we were to use our... Example here to uh, to explain your answer. What would the answer be? That's not correct. Because presuming you're going to live forever. Yeah, I'm trying to say live or live after, (laughs) live for thirty more days. Using this example, but not the principle though. So if you were to use the principle in its pure sense. Then uh, uh, completely what you just said. You would have to fast the obligatory fast first, and then whatever. But use it. Yeah, but but here they've given the example that it's allowed for you to pray sunnah and thingy because you've got time thingy. Now we could also say to this person, "How do you know you're going to live?" In fact, we covered that like a couple of last year. Yeah, we did. Isn't it? In the time of salah. In the time of salah, what was the issues? What was the chapter? It was menstruation. It was menstruation. It was, yeah, all, everything to do with menstruation. We went on next level there. If menstruation is for, is for to pray, if time comes in. Yeah, and in the prayed, earlier time. You've not prayed. And not prayed. And you've entered into. Into menstrual, menstrual status yeah. whilst the prayer time was is remaining that, and you didn't pray. Is that prayer? No, would they be obligated to do the prayer? Would they be obligated to. To pray or make up that prayer? Make up that prayer? Would there be sin, etc., etc.? And, and we said no. And there was a big debate and discussion about that. So, keeping that in mind, therefore, it is. And, and. So, keeping that in mind, what we discussed already, and what the author here said, and. And this is what we're really looking for. We're looking for an evidence to help us. So, the evidence that helps us is the action of Aisha. And Aisha radiallahu anha, we have it clear that she delayed those obligatory makeup fasts and she did fast throughout the year. And there's debate over that as well, by the way. Because the, nation, the narrations do not explicitly say that she fasted Shawwal and Ashura and whatever and ignored the other fasts. Rather, 
the narrations say that she made up her fast a year later. And the argument is, is it possible that someone like Aisha didn't fast throughout the whole year? You get what I'm trying to say? It's what we call mafhum al-mukhalafa, yani understanding the fact that Aisha is one of the main kind of ibadah women of our tradition, doing fasting and sadaqah and this, that all the time. You're telling me that she, in a household where the Prophet ﷺ fasting all the time, in a household where the Prophet ﷺ would wake up in the morning and come back from Fajr, come back after and say, is there any food? And Aisha would say, no. Then she, he would say, okay, well, I'm going to fast then. That's why we know that this, the voluntary fasts Superrogatory fast is permissible to fast, uh, you know, to start before dhuhr. Yep, if you want to make that decision too, as long as you haven't eaten. So you, you, the person who's narrating this is Aisha. You're telling me she's not fasting in the whole of the year? So we think that it's permissible for you to do that. You know, I want, I want to tell you the example that I, I was hoping you're going to give me some nice, fresh examples. But to yes, be honest, the, huh? the new Yeah, okay, yeah, fair enough. New Muslim comes and starts trying to memorize yani, certain verses that maybe were very impactful upon him when he became Muslim, hasn't learned Fatiha. Okay, we say, listen, let's get Fatiha on, you know, under, under the belt first and whatever. Just like how you're not supposed to answer a person who says salam to you whilst you are reading Quran, wouldn't the same principle apply to the, someone, to the one who's called for a lesson? Unless you get done at some point and go and join. Unless you get done. Oh, done, you may finish. Someone says salam to you whilst you are reading. Yeah, it does sound a bit dirty, that does. But let's look at it, let's break it down. To give salam is sunnah, to respond to it is obligatory. Okay? Um, but the person here is reading an ayah, and to complete reading an ayah, it's about adab, it's not about obligatory to finish the ayah. So I want you to know that you are not fulf- you're not failing the obligation by not giving salam immediately. That's what a hand would go up for, or that's what yani, you would just wait for, and you would definitely say walikum salam once the ayah is finished. But you're not in, you're not introducing statements into the verse because if you do, then you've messed it up. You have to start again. So yani that could be. Uh, 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 Give us this model. Yeah, the one, the, one, the one that I came across, I didn't find the hadith for it, but I know it happened. So I didn't find the reference for it. Um, the Prophet ﷺ came across a man who wanted to free a slave. Remember, slavery at that time was very much the norm, and to free a slave was just you know, a great act of charity. Okay? But I want you to understand that obviously doing that is a big monetary sacrifice. But also, some people might not have cash. I mean, cash was a rare thing. Yeah, people had goods and people and slaves. So this person, he tried to free a slave. However, he had a debt on his head. The Prophet ﷺ, when he heard about what this person was doing, he, he invalidated, he cancelled, annulled, the freeing of the slave. And he, وسلم, bought... Out the slave. Yeah, so I'm going to come to that in example. So this, so this made me think of my own example. So he bought out the slave and set him free. So he didn't stop the khair happening, but he didn't allow the person to do an act of charity when he had an obligatory money owing. So by that, by buying the slave off him, he then allowed that person to fulfill his obligation to pay off his debt and not just give out the voluntary act of uh, paying uh, uh, freeing a slave. So that's happened in the sunnah. 
All right, and that's an example of this principle we're talking about. You can't do something supererogatory whilst you've got obligations upon you. Now we come to the issue of the the modern day example of that is Hajj and debt. Okay, now Hajj and debt. I want you to I want, I want you to understand that a person who has debt is not obligated to go to Hajj, because to go to Hajj requires a person who's obligated to go to. Sorry, Hajj is obligatory upon someone who fulfills the conditions. And if a person does not fulfill the conditions, he's a child, he's X, he's Y, whatever, then the Hajj is not obligatory upon them. Likewise, a person who does not have the financial means is not obligated to go to Hajj. Alright? So, <clears throat> if a person's in that scenario, then we've got two, two, two options. Either the person uh, will then not go, and that's completely legal, okay? <coughs> or... What's the second scenario? Yeah. <coughs> Ill, did you say? Yeah, okay, yeah, alright, then let's just do that. Pay off, yeah, and go. If you, if you think you're, you're quite sure that you can have the means to pay, <coughs> or you'll continue to have the means to pay, then you go and come back and pay. Um, <coughs> yeah. Basically, the third, the third solution is of, is, has different versions. So the first one would be, it's a single sum of money that's being demanded from you now, there and then. If that's the case, then you can't go. Because you're taking that person's money and you're putting it somewhere else. You owe a guy 5,000 pounds, okay? Hajj costs around five 6,000 pounds these days. You owe a guy 5,000 pounds. And he's waiting for that 5,000 pounds. You take that 5,000 pounds, you give it to Hajj. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous, all right? So option one there is to say to the guy, Listen, are you good with the fact that I go to Hajj? Right? So you've got to seek permission from that person. And that person, by giving permission, what they're basically saying is something very important. They're saying that if you do not come back and your estate cannot pay off, then I'm basically, yani, Bakhana. Mafkan, yes. Bakhana, you don't have a word, Bakhana? Is that Pukhto word, yeah? Yeah, I think it's Pukhto word, Bakhana. Yeah, you are Maf, basically. You're off the hook. But that's a risky thing because people don't really make that kind of clarification of people. People understand it and then they expecting it from the estate when the money goes and, you know, uh, it's a mess. So if you get that in writing, then that's fine. The second scenario is a person it has a debt which is of in uh, installments. Now, installments itself needs to be divided and broken down. If it is that with a person who is expecting it in a way where there's some doubt whether you'll be able to pay afterwards, then again, like scenario one, you need to go and seek permission. However, if all of the indicators are that it is a very well-controlled thingy, okay, right? And let me give you an example of this, a practical example. There are so many people that ask this question to me, of course, obviously, you know, I'm taking Hajj groups all the time. They're saying to me this exact, exact question. And I say to them that when you go away for two weeks to, you know, to Lanzarote, right? Okay, uh, or you go away for three weeks to the pin. Lanzarote was only because some Goratre, he says to me, I'm getting Lanzarote. Okay. He came around he came to sort out some uh, electric thing, and he goes, where you been? I've been in Pakistan. He goes, oh, right, nice, was it? I go, yeah, it was nice. He goes, yeah, I'm getting Lanzarote. <laughs> Inside, I just, just fucked myself on my skin. Well, I don't, when I go Lanzarote, no. 
just the word itself is rhymes with grotty. I'm just not interested. It feels grotty. It just feels like an Ibiza. Ibiza is nice, yeah? September, only in, only in winter, only in winter. Anyway, so my point is, is that when they go for two weeks or three weeks at a pen or whatever, I swear to you, they don't ask any sheikh that same question. They don't. All right. Even though, uh, 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 anyway, I, I do want to discuss this actually because you might say, why we're we going so much detail, but actually there is something a bit more here as well. The point is, is that theoretically you are going away at the installment payment date that you would be away on. But guess what? Life continues because life in this country is all set up, bank accounts, normal, you're still in the job, you're on paid leave. Well, and so you don't ask. Likewise, when you're doing that whilst going on Hajj, it's theoretically the same thing. All right? So if there is a clear set plan and provision that's going to continue like you normally would, then you do not need to go and ask permission individually or specifically to carry on. But I do want to add a caveat. Where did it come from then in Hajj? This idea. It came from what Hajj has always been. And there is no doubt about it that Hajj is not like going Lanzarote and going back to the pen. There is a real threat. People do die traditionally when people would go to Hajj. When this discussion used to happen in the books of fiqh, it was taking months to go and come back. They were going on road and ships and all kinds of you know, crazy behavior used to happen. So there was a very real reality that you're not going to come back alive. And so it does make sense to have this idea that I'm going to go and have a discussion with my creditors. Debtors or creditors? Creditors. Creditors. Debtors. 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 You're in debt to them, they are your debtors. Debtors, yeah? Okay, debtors, I'll give you that. Yeah, no, I always go to. Bro, let's compare female education to female education. You know what I'm saying, bro? (laughs) (laughs) The other one's like, what? Okay, I'm still doubtful, by the way. She's changed her opinion. Creditors. <laughs> a debtor. Accounting principle is a debtor. So it's a debtor. No. What do you mean? The person who lends money is the creditor. The person who lends money is a creditor. That's how I have understood it. Type it in. You know, it takes three seconds. Google. What's your useless bunch of paggies, man? Google it. Oh, there we go, bro. Game over. Sheikh has spoken. Google's wrong. Don't ever say that. Wash your mouth out. Make three times more. Thought. <laughs> and and that's why we don't do business with my guy. You know what I'm saying? He changes the creditors to the debtors, and then you think, oh, did I lend the money? Or did I owe the money? Did I? <laughs> anyway, whatever the thing is, the guy who lent you the money, yeah, I'll work it out myself. So. Oh, sugar. There's a defense that's come straight in for Ibiza, bro. You shouldn't have dissed Ibiza. Yeah, he didn't. Actually, we all dissed Ibiza. Ibiza is a very beautiful island. Did not go to the clubs, though. But beautiful old buildings, countryside, lemon groves, and the island has no wildlife that causes harm to people. What's the country? What's the what? Spain, Muslim country. Spain, Muslim country, Ibiza. I don't know about that, bro. 
Maybe, I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, so uh, what we were saying. Um, so back, so that you would go and you'd have that discussion and, you know, it makes sense. And also, I, I, wanna, I want you to know that, um, uh, I, you know, that there is, there is even, uh, even in today's modern, sanitized, very quick getting to Hajj kind of thing, there's always still the threat that something's going to happen. It feels like the likelihood of passing away is a higher percentage than normal. It is, and if you go on enough coach drives, you know that that's a that's a that's a blatant fact. I mean, death is right between your eyes with those boys, yeah. And you got to put yeah, and a couple of guys on duty at the front that are chatting to the driver because when my man goes, the whole coach is all over the place. No joke, wallah, no joke. Remember that one last that one? Which one? And obviously, these guys are on time thingy, so when they do things like that, they go past an exit. Then they start reversing up a motorway, yeah, and they themselves in a big dirty coach with people going left, right, screaming, shouting, whatever. It's madness, bro. So anyway, it makes there's some there's some sense there. But what am I saying? I'm saying that it's not obligatory if it's under control. Okay. Um, what are, uh, what are there any other examples that we want to discuss? We'll just move on. Okay. Yes. 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 Right, right. So you're saying that there is a person, this is a good good question, that he's in debt, so therefore they can't go Hajj. Neither neither are they legislated to go to Hajj and neither have they got the ability to go to Hajj. But someone then comes and says that I am going to pay for you to go to Hajj. So what's the question actually? Can he go to Hajj or has he been given the money? No, he no he's doing all the arrangements. Yeah, no, no, I get that. But... What's the because qu- there's different questions here, aren't there? Yeah, and he, can he go to Hajj or does he or does he say to the guy, "Can you give me the value of the Hajj in money, and then I'm obligated then to pay it off?" Do you get what I'm trying to say? That there's, there's a different question. Now, if we just say, "Can he go to Hajj?" Let's say that it was a Hajj company. A Hajj company is not going to give you the money. A hajj company is going to send you. Yes. So the answer is yes, you can go because there's no difference to the. The uh, change in your circumstance, the, risk, right? the, the increased risk of death, yeah, that that in of itself is not a um, like uh, 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 I, I want to make myself very clear here. This is very important. A debtor cannot enforce your yani creditor. Yeah, credit <laughs> the guy who you owe money to can't say. That I've seen the jobs that you're applying to, but that one's too far and it's too risky because there's a chance that you might die and I might lose my money. Or you go, yeah, but no, no, but, 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 but you get my point. Can't get, like, let's look at it logically. Could he say to you, you owe me money and I want you to keep working from home. Every time you leave home, you live on a busy road and there's a greater chance. That, that's possible, isn't it? The, the, you are safer at home, aren't you? That's fine. The difference so if he's not allowed to put that condition upon you, he's not allowed to say to you, you can't go hajj. When you don't have the money to pay off now, if this person goes to give you, here's five thousand pounds for Hajj, and you say, "Listen, am I obligated to use it for Hajj, or are you giving me the five thousand pounds?" and he goes, "No, the money is yours, and it was allocated for Hajj, and you need to go Hajj. It's up to you whether you want to go to it or not. I'm, I'm okay with it." Now that's a difficult one. Now you've got five thousand pounds. In my opinion, you should pay that person off. But that's if it's a person. Who is specifically? Now, you see, I want to make something very clear. 
these are all yani, these very rare scenarios, very unlikely scenarios where we're owing a person a big sum of money. What people today have are impermissible mortgages or permissible Islamic payment uh, plans that they are paying someone back every month. Yes? I, don't want, I, I, I want you to understand that from a scholarly point of view, I myself do not treat this as debt. All right? Well, f- first of all, if it's an Islamic payment thingy, you can't treat it as debt because then that means you're basically lying to yourself and you're just, yani, you know, you're just doing haram. All right? So a person, for example, he's on an Islamic ijara uh, scheme, okay? or musharaka scheme, or murabaha scheme from an Islamic bank. Right, and they're paying back the house value from Arrayan Bank, uh, uh, you know, Islamic Bank of Britain, a thousand pounds a month. All right, and then it comes to zakat time, and this plum yani says, yeah, you know what it is? I don't have to pay zakat because I owe a thousand pounds every, uh, I owe two hundred thousand pounds, or whatever. We say to him, it's especially obligatory upon you because you chose the halal option, which is not a debt. You are actually paying rent. That's what makes your payment halal. Yeah, and at best, at best, will give you this month yani, off if you're going to go Hanafi old school, work out debts, not debts, and do all of your sums for zakat, which I don't advise at all, by the way, but it's completely valid to do. When you do the zakat calculators and you put in your outgoings and your ingoings and your how much you owe and how much you are owed, you know when you do it like this? Then I will allow a person, like most of the scholars in this country do, I'll allow a person to use a month's rent and a month's bills as a debt. Because they're going to go out at the end of the month. Me, myself, my own fatwa, what I do myself, what I tell my students, no. I tell my students, it doesn't matter what you owe, what you are expected, whatever. The day that you are obligated, whatever you have, is what you pay on. You ignore how much you, you ignore the money you're going to get paid at the end of the month as your pay slip, just like you ignore the amount of money that you're going to owe as bills and X and Y. This is a, a real time, straight, on spot, what we call spot method. Anyway. So what I'm saying is that there are a number of people who say, I owe, like they've got a haram mortgage of £200,000 and where they are actually paying back a debt. And they say, I've got debt on my hands. I'm not going to go hajj. I'm not going to go this. I'm not going to give any charity. I'm not going to pay zakah. I'm not, what the hell is that? That will basically takes like 90% of the Muslim uh, ummah out, uh, out of the game. No one goes hajj. No one pays any money. And they're just yani, involved in this kind of, like they're already in haram and they're not even doing anything to actually try and mitigate their har- that haram. They're actually trying to justify that, you know, they're not going to do all of the good deeds. So we've got to be very careful about that as well. That we don't allow that to become a kind of uh, excuse, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, so you're saying, like, say if you die with a debt to a bank or a company, a phone contract, something like that? Yes. Like, you won't be able to file No, no, you will be, of course. Yeah. A debt to... Uh, if there's a person... Uh, who, you know, phone bill, like you said, phone bill, right? That's, you owe that person, that company, the phone bill. That's a debt, right? But that debt itself, uh, what, what's your question? You held accountable for. Yeah, yeah, what do you mean by held accountable? What does that mean? I, I wanted to ask, but I thought I'd leave it to the end. Yeah, yeah, ask this, uh, explain this first, then we do that question. What, what do you mean by this one? Yeah, like, um, because I'm sure you said something about like the debt from like a bank or something is different to the debt owed to a person. Oh. No, what I was saying is that 
those debts that are institutional, that are in, on inst- installment plans, that are part of your salary and that are payments and so on and so forth, cannot be looked at practically, like, because technically it could be the same. Technically a debt is a debt if you own money. But practically speaking, if we start looking at it the same as a person who's desperately needing his money back in all in one go, he gave you £5,000, and that was £5,000 of disposable income that he doesn't have, and he gave it to you in your time of need. You're not going to treat that guy the same as the bank who you own, even in haram mortgage, £200,000 to, that you've agreed to pay over 30 years, which has legislation as part of the contract that will cancel that debt if you die, by the way. No, not banks maybe, but um, student loans, for example. Okay? Huh? Yeah, there are certain financial institutions definitely that are contractually, they have that if you pass away, then you are absolved of the debt. And there are others that, will, of course, will chase your estate. Okay, meaning so that once everything is cashed out, they will... Huh? Mortgage won't, huh? They'll chase the estate. They'll chase. Yeah, yeah. Uh, student loans d- uh, does. I know that for a fact. But mortgage, I, I wasn't sure. So you heard that. They will, they will chase. So what I'm saying is that they're different. Yeah, and you can't put them into the same category, right? And we can't allow these long-term debts to become excuses for us to not ever pay zakat ever again. Because a person's got £5,000 in a bank, which is way above the threshold to pay. So you should pay now, what's that? 125 quid. 125 quid, you should pay zakat upon that £5,000. But he says, no, I don't because I have £5,000 in my bank, but I owe £200,000 mortgage to my bank. So actually, I'm £195,000 in debt. Now, technically speaking, he's right. But if we allow this system to survive, this would be a farce. No one will pay zakat at all in this country. You get what I'm trying to say? Yeah. That's my point. Does that make sense, what I just said? Yeah, yeah okay, all right. What happened to this desk, man? Okay. Yeah, to be honest, we'll continue and finish this and kill this completely. Because we are at an hour. Yeah. What time is back your day? That's the most important thing. Is it 10.45? Oh, it's miles away. Khalas, let's have another hour lesson then. Yeah, no, go on, carry on, yeah. Going with the guy with the hajj. He gets the money from that person to go on hajj. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the guy's now received the money now. Yeah, no, sorry. Oh, he's been sent on hajj. He's been sent on hajj. Yes. Is he free from his obligation of hajj? Oh, yes, absolutely, absolutely. If a person has their hajj paid for, it is their obligatory hajj. Just because he did not pay for it himself, bro, you best not. Hello, is he going to be thinking? We banned that, bro. Chalo, this is last week exception. Chalo, bring it, bring it, bring it, bring it. But you do that again, yeah? What's going on, Shaz? It was an offer. You're so weak. It's all Shaz's fault. So weak. We set hukam clear. We made a clear decree in this class. No. 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 It's not like you, and you you walk off home. Yeah. <laughs> so the question is that if a person pays for your Hajj, it is the same as husbands up and down the country that are paying their wives zakat. Day and night, yes. And what's the other version of that? Um, and those are the two common ones. And sorry, uh, and Hajj, yeah. You know that's the normal thing. Yeah, husbands are paying for their wives Hajj and Zakat. Okay, which is not obligatory for him to do. Can we get that video? I will. I will sing that to you on video. Not just say it to you on video. 
bro, I'm telling you. But you know how it is, man. It's a, it's a cultural thing. Women expect. Or, 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 you know what it is? Small price, to be honest. Miskin there. They don't get no money. No, no. <laughs> Six grand. There's no small price. Um, so they're not obligated. They're not obligated until they have their own wealth. That is, abs- that is actually correct. So, ha- flipping egg. What is going on? The people on the line, they, 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 they've made a lot. Oh, oh, sugar, you went to Timmy Hortons. You sick guy. Bro, these timbers are sick. By the way, I can't share this out. You're going to have to come to the table for timbers because this is messy. We had to hoover the masjid last time, by the way. Yeah, okay, and that was not fun. Oh, sugar. You sick guy. Oh, yes. But you know, everyone online is thinking, you know, you're a kumzor bakwas. We're useless, basically. They. Huh? What's that? There's no doubt that. There's, huh? Expert astaghfirullah. This is Ajmal, bro. What you, did you hear that what you said? I see. I'm telling you, Ibrahim, dark horse, bro. I told you. Yeah, he did. Yeah, exactly. He said exactly what you think he just said. So anyway, I just want to apologize to everybody online that these people are weak. I was strong. I was very strong. Right, and this one you're gonna have to come for afterwards, okay? This one you have to come for after. Oh, this is so nice, Bismillah. Hey, no joke. I can't even see what's going on. Alright. Oh. So much for the food ban, exactly. So much for making the ad. I just want to say it was not me, it was them. The birthday cake, what one? Timbits? Apparently, the birthday cake, Tim Hortons, Timbits are not halal. By the way, I'm coming down your uh, software tomorrow, so I'm gonna go myself. Have you been yet or not? Yeah. You have, yeah? Is it on the way to hospital? Not the oh, oh yeah, you got one there as well. You guys, upper class people, innit, man? We got nothing. We got ribbon Costa class. Anyway, yeah, but the, the Salford one, where uh, I think is it near the hospital or not? No, it's been on the road. Oh, it's been on the Can we finish this, please? What were we talking about? We're talking about women don't need to go Yeah. Same issue. So anyway, to, to finish off your point, that when the person accepts the Hajj, it is the obligatory Hajj is done, but upon one key condition. What's the condition? No, no, well, no. I need to know that you understood the condition, bro. After the class, you forget. Get out of here, man! Next is unbelievable. My man bowls across here and tries to blame Shazad. Shazad's having kittens in the corner. <laughs> Guys on a diet gang having a heart attack. Right. So what we were saying? What's the condition? What's the condition of paying your wife's zakah? What's the condition of sending your wife on hajj? What's the condition of taking this gift? 
No! No! <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> What's the condition? Come on. We shut up, man. What's the condition? Honestly, this is poor behavior. I'm going. I'm going on thinking. Jiva, why are you online, by the way? What's the condition, man? What chapter are we doing? She has to have the intention. Because what normally happens? She goes, you're giving my zakah, aren't you? Yeah, and he goes, oh, he goes, of course I am. I do it every year. She goes, all right then. And I told you guys this before, that yani, and I mentioned this in Wudu, and I emphasized it again, and in the book of Salah, I said that the issue of niya is a very dangerous one. People become very comfortable, and they don't think about acts of worship. So like I said, that when a person is mixing between wanting to go and freshen up after going to the gym, and making the wudu, and making ghusl for Friday, because they went training, went to the gym on Friday, it is very conceivable that a person goes into the shower not thinking about Friday. Do you get what I'm trying to say? And they just clean themselves because people get into the system. So when you are, your wife is now used to your, you giving zakah all the time, she needs to articulate in her mind that, Ya Allah, accept my zakah from me. Husband's paying it. Ya Allah, accept this hajj from me. He paid for it. Ya Allah, accept this hajj from me. Jazallah khair to the person who donated it. So it's very important that your intention is there, then the hajj is accepted as your obligatory hajj. Carry on. It's just a tricky question. Yes. Most of the people, when they get married, there is mahar. Yes. And sometimes people don't pay mahar. Yes. 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 So actually, interestingly, when it comes to this discussion, it was based around Mahar. Because that was the prominent debt that people would be talking about in the books of fiqh. So when you get married and you agree a mahar of say 10,000 pounds with your wife, and most people don't have that 10,000 pounds, so it becomes mahar, yani some mu'akhar, yani it becomes something which is delayed and to be paid according to an agreement and whatever. Mm-hmm. Obviously, many wives, they, they, they uh, thingy, uh, they wipe it, but they shouldn't. Okay, and if they take it there or then or early or whatever, it is a debt upon the husband. And just like everything we've discussed, it applies the same. So a person would have to, you know, uh, if she turns around and says, I want my money before you go to Hajj, then you, got, you can't go to Hajj and you have to give it to her. It's exactly the same as a debt. Uh, when you say intention, for example, <clears throat> somebody buys their wife uh, some jewelry. Okay. Yeah. There, there has to be some kind of intention that I'm buying it and I'm giving it to you and it now belongs to you. So you're responsible for that as a car. Yep. Yeah? I think that's a big issue as well. People don't kind of think in that sense. That, uh, they don't, they don't, you, don't, they, you so mean that, that, they're not sure, sure on ownership? Exactly. So that, yeah. I mean, listen, I don't want to turn this class into pure pesa, but obviously there are, uh, yani we're just weak, really weak on mu'amalat in general. Okay? And... Not only are we poor as Muslims, we have two major problems. So there's three problems. The first one is, as I said, Muslims, meaning that Islamically, we are very weak on mu'amalat, right? But the two big problems that come in, number two, is that culturally, we've got a few things that really mess things up. 
and then three, legally, we're in a non-Muslim country, which makes things even worse. So, for example, um, the other day, I um, took some of my money. I don't know. If, I mean, I don't want to turn this into a financial flipping, you know, advisory or whatever. And I'm sure it's illegal anyway. But so, um, uh, so you know that an ISA, you know, what an ISA is an indiv- indiv- individual savings account. Okay, they're very tax efficient. All right, so you can put money in, and you, you if you put money into that, and you put it. It's a wrapper, isn't it? It's an account, and you put it in a wrapper and you invest that money in a stock which is halal, okay? Then that's a very good thing for a Muslim to do, because one, it's investment; two, it's halal because you checked it; it's halal; and three, whatever you make as a result of it, in the current economy and policy by the government, it's tax-free up to a certain amount of money. So, I used my tax allowance. Okay, so I couldn't use anymore. So I said to my wife that I'm going to use hers. It's not her money. It's my money. Do you understand? And she, like, she accepted that. I don't get yourself into trouble with the tax money uh, or mine, by the way. Don't tell you that you mine. <laughs> I don't care about that nonsense. Who knows, Yanni? This is just me explaining a point. It's her money. This is, that's the whole point. It's her money. That's the whole... You ho- said you gave it to her. It doesn't... <laughs> what the fuck is going on, bro? <laughs> This is a legitimate excuse, though. This is a legitimate excuse. I just want to say, which excuse are we using? Nusayba. Nusayba, yeah? This is a legitimate excuse. This is legitimate. I don't care. All the haters online, okay? Whoa. That's a different one. Whoa. That's so heavy. I've never seen a quality street box so heavy in my life. It's back. I don't know, anyway, that's... I, I, I think it's because it's not perfect, anyway. Okay, I just want to show... This is so bad. But this is so good. MashaAllah, Nadif, MashaAllah, is blessed with the baby daughter, Nusayba. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless her, make her from a salihat al-qaniyat al-mahafid Allah. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make her the coolness of her parents' eyes and to protect her parents. Allahumma ameen. And I'm very glad that you got me this for my dua. That's for my first dua. And this is for my second dua. Maybe we can share that box with everyone. Yalla, start, start, start thinking this one. My goodness, man, we are spoiled. Yalla. Bob's passed that to the girls. Right, so we were saying what? What were we saying? Oh, yeah, so I was... I swear, please, everybody, from now on, next... Wallahi, I swear by Allah... I swear by Allah, I'm serious. No more. Get I have to cut some. I've got to lose weight. <laughs> Wallahi. <laughs> Wallahi. I mean, from that's, that's it. This is the last week. Just to clarify, what was the oath that you took? I didn't make an oath. I didn't say, Qasam I didn't say that. I didn't. I didn't. I was. I was. I, 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 I made a. I, I made an appeal. Huh? I made an appeal. You can't put chocolate in front of me. I can't resist chocolate. You can't do that. It's not right. It's not fair. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not insaniyat. Catch everybody. Okay, let's do it the old school way. Everybody, Bismillah. Catch. Don't don't miss it. Don't let it hit you. Then then big matam happen. Allah ya tukdoor. Afan afan. There we go. Nice. There we go. MashaAllah. Right, guys, focus. Bismillah.
Wallah, we are a laughing stock. We are a laughing stock to the Islamic world. All we do is eat chocolate in this class. People online, they think, what kind of class is this? We read quarter page of text, chat for one hour, 20 minutes about Hajj and this and that. No focus. Right. Where are we? ISIS. So the situation is, is that that's my money. Right? But it's in her name. It's, it's her money. Do you understand? Now, we are very lazy about things like that. There's a legal ramification of that. Zakat, that's to be paid on that. Does it or does it not? There's no zakat paid upon investments. Just want to make it that clear. According to a number of scholars in this country, absolutely is. The Hanafis in this, in this country, absolutely you have to. Um, in, t- in case of death, who's now going to now be fair enough and say that this is my money or not? Or this is the wife's money or not? It's completely, there's not a single way that I can make claim to that money. In my death, in her death. Do you get what I'm trying to say? So, it's very important. The lesson I'm trying to make is that in the things that we do culturally, legally in this country and Islamically, we need to have accountability for everything. And intention is very important. Writing things down and agreements between one another is important. You know, we've got this fear that it's un-Islamic to write pre-nupitals, a pre pre-nupiani uh, contract. Or that there are, even between spouses, you don't write contracts because of whatever. Uh, and, and things like this. We, we, you know, this has got to be done. It's good to get it done in a country like this where the money will lose its original intended meaning and it goes to a legal default position. All right? Now, I want to say to you that legal default in this country, that's what whole tax planning tries to avoid as well. So they operate trusts and this and that so that it doesn't remain yani, there to be taxed by people. Again. So the Muslims are not doing anything different. Don't yani, be starting using the galleys against me, bro. Yeah. Next one. Everyone's like, khalas, done. Are we done? Online? Focus. Look at Mesha. Mesha's pure hair. Because she's in a place which is minus 67 degrees in Edmonton, and she's got no chocolate, and she's hating on us for. We told you to go and live in Edmonton. You know what I'm saying? Right. Any other questions to Shaz? Don't say that. Huh? Not many on topic, yeah? What was the topic? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, you can't hate on them for that reason, bro. Come stop on the bottom, then. <coughs> Why the full four rakah? I don't even know what that means. Um, I wonder for parents who are teaching their children to pray, or of children who are restless, autistic, ADHD, etc., will this impact the reward of our own prayer as the one who leads absorbs the mistake of those they lead in prayer. That is, is that correct? Also added to that, is it better for a parent to gently turn the head of the child whose gaze is wandering or is making unnecessary movements in their prayer? To just advise outside of the prayer, remind before and then repeat the reminder after the prayer. I mean, there's, there's, there's quite, there's, that question's got some, you know, some important levels. First of all, there is a statement which is very correct, which we need to remember. That one of the blessings of praying in the jama'ah is that indeed the imam does absorb mistakes of a person like they got rubbish qira'a they don't understand what they're reciting they don't feel the prayer or they forget to say subhan rabbil azim or they forget a surah etc these are things which the imam when you're leading the prayer they cover so you don't do sajda sahu by yourself 
you are following the imam, he covers for you, brings extra blessings, extra reward anyway. So that is something which is important. That is correct, yes. But she's now applying that same principle that if a person's at home with their kids praying and they are kind of, you know, restless and so on, <coughs> and would you absorb their mistakes? Now, that's too general a question. If someone has HD, autism or ADHD, whatever, that's not a mistake. That's not a sin either. There's no absorbing or anything going on. That is the prayer according to their best ability. You though, if you are being disturbed by that, okay, then it's two scenarios. You should try to avoid that. If you're being disturbed to a level where you can't concentrate. And if it comes to a point where you can't, Yani, uh, 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 concentrate or you can't, uh, um, then you've got to find another option. You pray at other times when they're quiet or they're sitting down being looked after or whatever. And if you can't and you're forced to go through it, then you will be rewarded for everything that you are able to absorb yani, from that. And in terms of moving the head, etc., no, you don't do that in obligatory prayer yourself, especially for a child. You'll be moving, you'll be moving throughout the whole prayer. You've got to focus on your prayer, get a job done, and then yani, if they're praying by themselves, that's when you move people. But no one, you're in your obligatory prayer yourself. Regarding women going... To hajj without mahram. Some scholars say, I feel there is no mahram to go with a woman. Hajj is not even fard on that woman. Some scholars allow the same woman. Can we have a little bit of explanation? I might write something on this in detail because this is confusing people. Okay, It is a classical difference of opinion. I do not hold that it is a condition for a woman to have to have a mahram to go to hajj, which is separate from the second issue, which is, is it obligatory for a woman to have a mahram to travel? Okay? To travel a long distance. These are two separate yani, scenarios. Okay? And they have to be seen separately. The vast majority of scholars, they said that a woman requires a, a mahram to travel a distance which requires, leads to qasar prayer. So like 50 miles plus, etc., etc., or day and the night. And that's a safe position. And we're not talking about what's good and what's not. It's always good to have mahram wherever you're going. Even going down the street, as we all know. Okay, Let alone on the other side of the world. Of course mahram is good. But obligatory or not. Well, it's a lot closer to obligation during normal travel than not being an obligation. I'll just make that statement now. I'm, I'm summarizing in a very big way. But when it comes to hajj, people mistake the point of, is it for hajj or for the journey? If it's for hajj, then hajj has nothing to do with mahram. Okay, Hajj has to do with getting there. So it's the discussion is now defaulting to does a woman need a mahram to travel? Okay, as opposed to Hajj. Hajj for me is far, far easier to allow a woman to not go without a mahram. Completely. Umrah groups, Hajj groups, because they're going in these groups that are religious, of good character, in safe ways, together. They're doing the exact job of the mahram. And so for me, there's not a problem at all. Now, a person going by themselves, journeying to Pakistan, journeying to the London by themselves or something like that for a couple of days, that's a far more difficult job to justify than they're going to Hajj. Hajj is the easiest one. Does that make sense? Yep. And it's not so straightforward. I, I have to say I'm lenient in the issue of obligating uh, a mahram because I believe it's an issue of safety and if safety can be assured, then a person can go. The problem with this opinion, though, is that in today's uh, real time, it's very dangerous. Any time can turn into a, a, a bad scenario. Woman tra- traveling by her own is not a healthy situation. And it would be naive to imagine it's not. Yeah. Is there not specific to Hajj for this? They try to, they, yeah, there are some people that try to make it specific to Hajj, but they have to bring in evidence. Is there, they, is there an 
No, there's no evidence. The evidence is the fact that they're saying that you're not going to go to Hajj without traveling. Well, uh, that, that's technically true for a vast majority of people. But then if that's the case and the issues of traveling, then, then you don't, yeah. So, or you look at the hadith that are around the discussion of traveling and whether you need a mahram or not. And if you don't need, if it is about safety, if the illa is safety, then that is taken care of in a group. And if the illa is not safety, but it's a ta'abudi matter, tawqifi, it is just a ruling that you have to accept, then of course then a woman can never ever go anywhere then. Go uncle. Go uncle. And then enjoy herself, correct. Right. A few weeks ago, if you have a debt in the form of a mortgage, can you still give charity? Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. Can a female go to a hajj group? You have said that already. I wanted to pray a fard together with my mother, but I got a bit confused and thought she had already prayed, so I started alone. Then she said she hadn't, so I cut my salah. Huh? <laughs> I wanted to pray a fard together with my mum. Jama'ah. But I got a bit confused. She thought mum's already prayed. So she started to pray herself, this woman. So I got a bit confused. She thought and thought that she had already prayed, so I started alone. Yeah. And then mum said, shouted out. Oh, and then she said, oh, I haven't. So I cut my salah. Ha, ha, ha. She should We're covering this next week. We're covering that next week, inshallah. Creditor is someone who lends the money, by the way. Flipping financial services, bakwas, whatever. Stick to chocolate. Stick to chocolate. Stick to chocolate and uh, digestives. <laughs> yeah, of course. He was saying the debtor is one who lends the money. Financial services. <laughs> London, Fenchurch Street, or whatever. Okay. I'm going to bring you more chocolate, I see. Yeah. I'll spend now. It's enough now. You can't deprive the rest of them. No. No. But we're saying, yeah? No. Me and Dr. Sapsa, we're not touched the piece yet. What's up? You mentioned the question on voting last week. Did I? Well, she means obviously last lesson. When you vote, does it class as shirk? So much so that voting in itself is an act of kufr and could lead you to leaving the religion. If so, what if you live in a country where it is legal to... Anyway, let's, you don't need, no need to elaborate. It is permissible for you to vote. Vote is just a process of choosing someone. There's nothing haram about that. What's haram is a person uh, uh, supporting someone who does haram actions. Now that's the argument of the people who will vote. They will say that you are supporting someone who does haram and you are supporting the system. We'll say two things. Number one, in a country where it is illegal to not vote, we'll say, number one, the reason I'm voting is to try and reduce the harm. Number two, my support for a person is not support for everything that they do. That's it. End of story. Okay? And that's even more so if you are living in a country where it is illegal to not vote. Um, that's very poor behavior, very high, it's cussing the crap out of us. Okay, well done. Um, is sending a poor person on Hajj a good form of sadaqah or is it better to help them do other things? In my opinion, very much so other things. I do not think, you know, as a person who takes people on Hajj and always loves to take people on Hajj and Umrah because we build people, I don't like the idea that you send other people on Hajj and Umrah. I don't. I don't. I don't. I really don't. Umrah maybe, maybe Umrah, Umrah is different. Umrah is like a dawa project, you know, for a lot of people. Yeah, but not Hajj. Not Hajj. You've got to get that out of your mind, sending people to Hajj, man. I'm not down for that. That's a lot of money 
Six grand, a lot of money, in which you can do a lot of good with it, especially marriage. Especially marriage. Person's not got the money, they're not obligated to do Hajj. Khalas, man. At the same time, we've got a group of people now, because uh, Umrah now is so cheap, relatively speaking, that people are going very regularly. And you can't have people just keep going Umrah, just chilling, enjoying themselves and saying, yeah, I ain't got money for Hajj. You know what I'm saying? And last question, you mentioned that the Shabbat in regards to changing a fard to a nafal is that there is enough time for that whole prayer. But why not a single rak'ah in which we come back from the sajda and as such catch the salah? It's a good question. Do you get his point? He's saying that, yani, why did you say four rak'ah? Actually, I didn't. Sheikh Uthameen said four rak'ah. And his point is that why four rak'ah when one is sufficient? What's the answer to the question? What's the answer to his question? No. Well, it is cutting you fine, but what's the actual answer? Correct. You can't intend to pray one raka'ah within time. It is legally acceptable to do that when you find yourself in a scenario. But you can't intend from the beginning that I'm not going to pray, not going to pray, and I'm only going to stand and get one raka'ah. Ah, I've got a technical prayer. But no, but you can't. You know. Why can't you? Intentionally. Yeah, no, you can't. Yeah. Intent, this is a concession for a person who's done something which is... And Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, he actually said that is the prayer of the hypocrite. That's the prayer of the hypocrite. The one who delays, 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 delays. And that's four raka'ah by the way, not one. And just quickly does four whilst the sun goes down. Right? So a person's got to be careful on that. Anyway, I think we've uh, smashed that one and we've spoken. Uh-huh. Whoa, 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 whoa. One hour, 24 minutes is not enough. Go on. Yeah. Raw, bro. <laughs> you want to behave? Then pass me the other box of quality streets. Then go on. Pass me this one. I'm bored of that now. I'm, I'm being with this one. So that depends. If a person yani, had not intended to pay the debt, then that person will not enter Jannah, even if they were guaranteed it, until that debt is paid for them. In actual fact, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said they'll be punished until that debt is paid. If a person yani, was fully intending to pay that debt and then they died whatever then they are not being punished by that because of their intention but it needs to be fulfilled from that person's um, inheritance or someone else needs to pay it off if the person owes a debt and the other person writes it off there's nothing upon that person those are the three scenarios that a person can be in when they owe money yep your phone Say I drop your phone. Yeah, so you, someone else's, yeah? Yes. Yeah. So I owe you £100 now. So Why £100? Quid? You, you drop my phone, bro, you're paying a thousand flipping pound. You know, <laughs> I mean, not a pack, you're yeah, a £100 behavior. So you say, I want a £1,000. So I give you the £1,000. Is it worth it on you to replace the screen? Or can you just keep the money? Sick question. <laughs> As a pack, <laughs> I can tell you what I'm going to be doing, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> upgrade time yeah <laughs> look she's at laughing because that's exactly what he does look even though he's a big big shot dentist but that's exactly what he'll do the um, question is, is that what if he then goes and gets the second the unbranded version which is five quid and gets it replaced that's that full of and wow. charges the guy for the full price original apple experienced coming out there bro experience it's a serious question um, because it's an important one. Because what you've given is a lame example. The, the one that he's given is, the, is what he's alluding to is car insurance. Yeah. person goes and gets a quote and it's like £3,000 and you're going to get the job done for £1,500. 
Do you understand? Yeah? That's the... That's the... <laughs> that's the standard presentation of that. And this uh, issue is not easy, actually. It's not straightforward. All right? Because we've got to work out now... Uh, what, what, what is... It, it, uh, there's a, again, like we said last time, there's a difference between an individual and a system. So, for example, a system, okay, like, I'm not insurance, you did insurance, right? Yeah, okay. So, although, we should not trust you one little bit on anything, but, okay. Um, like, let me give you an example. Insurance companies... I get the feeling that I would, if I'm asked this question, I would automatically give two different answers to an individual and an insurance company. Why? An insurance company, for example, will make a payout on a card that has been written off and at the same time legally give a person the right to buy it back in a written off state for repair or X or Y. Is that correct or not correct? Meaning that the way that I understand the fiqh of this issue is that the system itself recognizes that these payments that go back and forth are not necessarily true representation of what you should be getting or could be getting, whatever. They know that people are making money here and there and so on. Yes. Now this is important because if the urf of the society or the, or the, or the culture of the field accepts that these kind of things happen, then it is permissible. This is what we call al-urf muhakkam, that the, 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 the ways of the people allow that thing to happen. Like for example, is it permissible for you to go into a shop, okay, into Sainsbury's and start tasting the grapes? It would be in Arab country. Exactly, exactly. It's illegal, you're shoplifting, and you have taken something which is, you know, not yours. It's completely illegal. In Muslim countries, standard. Right? Standard. And I, I, not Muslim countries, beg your pardon. In the third world, or in the East, yani, you know, nothing to do with Muslims. It's the culture that people do that. They taste, they check, they're happy, they're not happy, and they, you know, whatever. And, and other professional places as well, like, like Ben & Jerry's, for example. You know, ice cream shops. You used to see Shaz, he doesn't even buy any ice cream, just goes in. He says, I'll take, try that one. I'll try that one. Then suddenly he becomes Yanni, he's like, right, I'm done now. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say Shaz has never done that in his life. But I always dream that one day Shaz is going to do that. Shaz is the guy who goes, I'll have six scoops of that one even if I don't like it. It's true that if you go into like an Apple shop, like the older sons, the older generation, they will just pick up and taste. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and that's my point by al We have to understand that when we answer these questions, especially when it comes to mu'amalat, money issues and whatever, we do look to the kind of the prevalent culture of the people. It does actually have, and it's a very interesting area this, a very difficult area as well in Islam. You're having people's subjective customs and cultures have a legal effect upon an Islamic ruling. So in one scenario it wouldn't be, in another scenario it would be. So for example, a person, um, like there are many companies and certainly amongst Muslims, and, uh, 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 but just many companies that will pay you an allowance and it's called an allowance. They actually used to say this is your fuel money. 
right, back in the day. And if I'm not wrong, after a while, just to make it easier, they changed the phraseology to allowance, to allow you to just choose what you want to do. This is your expenses, 200 pounds. Whether you walk it there, get a lift, whether you spend your, whether you go and find your cousin, spend the night with him, or you pay 200 pounds, you know, for a five-star hotel, that's your problem. You get what I'm trying to say? And in some places, that will be completely illegal and sackable and whatever. And in other places, they don't care because they, as far as they're concerned, that's what they've written off. Now, in the insurance game, okay, the, the, their sums, their sums are based upon that we charge this, this amount of premium to pay out this amount that we predict per year. That's calculated of so many accidents and so many total, you know, uh, dealer costs, which are like, you know, 10,000 pounds to fix your car, whatever. And that's what they've already done in their formula. Now, I am comfortable with the idea that they are giving you £10,000. You now go and decide that I don't want a car anymore, or I'm going to go and get that car for £2,000 fixed, or I'm not even going to get it fixed. Give me £10,000, I'm going to buy it back again, and I'm going to get it then redone. What's it called when you do it again? Um, um, when you... Cat D. Huh? Cat, yeah, Cat D, Cat C. You put it in the right category, get it super cheap. And then get it remade again, put a Q-play on it, etc., etc. That's acceptable in industry, so why would it not be allowed? So my answer to your question is that it is allowed. Except where it is explicitly not acceptable by some terms of rules and conditions. Because sometimes they make it clear that you're not allowed to do that. But he's talking on a, on a one-to-one basis, and I don't see why it wouldn't be allowed. So he's saying someone drops his phone before... When, when the phone is, is our... Yeah, the, one that he, the example that you gave is the easiest because, Yanni, uh, 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 this is your phone and it doesn't matter what your intention was, the next day you were going to get rid of it, you were going to destroy it, you were going to buy another one, it doesn't matter. At this moment in time, he, that guy, has ruined a £1,000 phone. Yep, He's not going to give you £1,000 for it and neither should you demand it because it's old, it's used and you work out a figure. But the figure is for the device. It doesn't matter what you're going to do. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? But I wanted to give you the, the tough seal of it. All right. All right. Last question. So, random one. Yeah. In recently. What do you say to the people that pray in front of the, you know, the line that says, this is where the imam is praying? Yeah. Pray yeah. Are their prayers accepted or? Um, I don't want to say that it's unaccepted. It's not accepted, but it should be avoided. Yes, yeah, so you should not get in front of the imam. Yeah, and that's why jahil yani, is, is, a, is an uzar. It's an excuse for people who don't know, don't have knowledge, and it's something yeah, acceptable. Allah knows best. All right, guys, that's enough. Jazakumullah khair. Subhanakallah wa bihamdik. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaik. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.